Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. My name is David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardwar. And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, what we're going to do here on today's podcast is discuss some what we've been watching. we got a Slash Film Court later on where we're going to adjudicate a movie-related dilemma, a series of movie-related dilemmas, actually, and then uh, conclude with an in-depth review. This week, we'll be reviewing Overlord, the new Bad Robot production directed by Julius Avery. Uh, looking forward to talking about this movie with you guys. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we had, we had our choice of movies to review for this weekend, and uh, <laughs> Overlord, uh, Girl in the Spider's Web, and uh-huh. also The Grinch all came out. Um, and it was tough. It was tough there. The Grinch was really holding out. Yeah. Well, the the Grinch actually like dominated the box office, and <laughs> Overlord and Girl in the Spider's Web. Unfortunately, like basically, kind of the movies that that we want, you know, in the theater, right? Like like uh-huh. adult dramas, mid budget, right? Both are around forty million dollar budget. Um, both of those movies did really badly. So uh, foretells a, a bleak future for people who are into non superhero films or non uh, you know children's movies at the box it's like, office. It's like some creature snuck into their house at night and stole everything that they cared about. Nicely done, Jeff. Uh, yeah, speaking really. speaking of nicely done, <laughs> you know uh, this is the first time in, in ever I think that prior to this podcast I had to text one of the co-hosts and say, "Hey, um, Jeff." Don't worry about joining us on the podcast if your house is being evacuated, uh, yeah. or if your if your city is being evacuated. Jeff, this is life in 2018. Yeah, well, what what is going on? Jeff, you're you are in imminent, uh, or, or 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 are you in imminent danger? What's going on over there? I am danger adjacent. You're um, danger adjacent. Yeah, and and I will probably talk of it flippantly, but that is only to mask the abject terror that is actually. In my heart, I, I've never been scared of anything like I'm scared of the last couple of days. Um, I live in the San Fernando Valley, and um, I'm sure you guys have heard about the massive wildfires that are all over the state of California. It's terrible mm-hmm. in Northern California. It's terrible here in Southern California, Malibu. Many, many, many homes and lives have been lost. Uh, Malibu is connected to the San Fernando Valley via a series of canyons. Those canyons are all burning. And it is encroaching closer and closer to where I live. And in fact, uh, you know, two days ago is when it broke out. We were very, very scared that day. I I literally did the thing that you talk about as like a a thought experiment at dinner parties. You know, that thing where somebody says, if you could only save one thing from your house, what would Mm -hmm. it be? I I lived that. Uh, we uh, we got a go bag packed, and we decided what things in our house we would take with us if we had to leave. And I went back and found like old journals from college that are irreplaceable, and some photos that I don't have digitally. And uh, literally went back and took inventory of everything I own and what I would not want to see perish. And uh, took video of my house and took lots of pictures for eventual potential insurance claims and I literally looked around my house and thought of everything being gone, um, which is the reality for a lot of people. So I'm certainly not in the worst of it. People are already living that. But um, then the, the day after that, the winds subsided. We have Santa Ana winds here in Southern California. They're very gusty and are really the cause, the, the cause of, of, of this tragedy that the fire would not have spread 
like it has without those winds. But we had those died down and um, my family and I, it was very smoky and I have young children, a two-year-old and a six-month-old. And so we were worried about the air quality and then we went down, uh, we decided to just take the day and drive down to Long Beach to get as far away from it as we could. And we just went down to the aquarium and we have season passes to the aquarium, we went down to the aquarium and just kind of took, took the day and tried to get our mind off of it and actually was doing pretty good. Uh, and then today the winds kick back up. They are expected to last for the next three days. Uh, and even today we were all right. The wind, the air quality wasn't so bad. The wind was kind of clearing that out a little bit and we were feeling good. And then, uh, we we're recording here about 7 PM my time at 5 PM my time. Uh, we got word that the town adjacent to mine, Calabasas, a town of 23,000 has just been mandatory evacuated. So that, I mean, that's less than two miles from where I live, that, mm. that town. So, um, that entire town, 23,000 people have been ordered to evacuate. Um, so I am, I've never been as scared of anything as I am scared of this. This is, uh, Ugh. it's a terrifying time. And, um, you know, I'm, I, I'm scared, uh, <sighs> for my family. But, you know, people say, stay safe, stay safe. And I appreciate it. I've gotten lots of wonderful messages from, from people saying, stay safe. I intend to, but, um, I, I don't mean this to sound shallow, but I, I also don't want all of my worldly possessions to go away. Right. right. I don't think that's <laughs> you know? a That'd be uh, nice. shallow, I don't think that's a shallow sentiment, Jeff. Yeah. Um. I, you know, we, we, we literally bought this house two years ago. So mm. my life savings is in this house and we, I, we have insurance, but, uh, the idea of, you know, buying, buying our first home and living there two years and then it burning to the ground is a pretty horrific thought. So <laughs> as I said, more people are dealing with the actual reality of that. I'm just dealing with the potential of that. And, and maybe, uh, you know, this is all be just a, uh, just a source of anxiety and nothing more for me. And if so, I will be very grateful, but, um, it's a, it's a trying time to say the least. It's pretty insane. Well, Jeff, you have a bunch of you have you have thousands of of listeners right now, and of course us here on the podcast, uh, rooting for you and your family, and hoping that you guys do stay safe and that you uh, end up in a good situation. And of course, if there's anything that people can do, um, you are welcome to use this channel as a way of uh, of getting the word out. Um, Thanks uh, again. I I don't want this to sound like a woe is me. I, like I said, mm-hmm. we are we are in the in the lucky category right now, and I hope to stay there. Um, and there are ways that you can help lots of people who aren't me right now. Um, there's some perverse sentiment going around the internet that, uh, because a lot of the people affected are in Malibu, that it's only millionaires, uh, and famous people who have been affected and therefore not worthy of our compassion. Uh, and I, I would like to disavow people of that notion right now. This is, uh, this is a, tragedy that has affected a wide range of people of all income levels and uh, and they deserve not only your compassion but any support you could give um but but also i i want to say that um i appreciate you asking about it and letting me talk about it i don't certainly don't mean to bring down the room but it's also my intention to have a good time tonight as we talk about movies because uh first of all that's one of the things i love most about my life is that i get to do this and second of all it's a it's a lovely escape from from that sense of foreboding dread <laughs> to be able to uh have fun and talk to my friends and uh you know and, and enjoy the hobby that i that i like so much you know it it really has been 
a terrible last few weeks. I mean, uh, putting aside the results of midterm elections, like just some terrible things have been happening in the world, and uh-huh. we, we, really, yeah. we really don't talk about it that much in the podcast. I think, I think mostly just out of like, if we did, we I just wouldn't be wouldn't be able to do the podcast. That you know, would be like, the show. That would be like, the show. Uh, It'd be just like ninety nine percent that because it is so upsetting everything that's going on right now. Um, so yeah, I, mean, yeah, I like, feel like I feel like I've aged ten years in the last two years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's I really just, do. We're, yeah. we're just like uh, we're, the the podcast is basically just continuing out of sheer momentum and adrenaline. <laughs> Essentially, you know, like it's just like. It, it, it's happening every week. Like there's a there's a deadline every week. We got ads we got to do, you know. And so it's like we're just doing it because I mean we still enjoy it. It's just like it's it just it, it's very difficult. You know, it's, it's a nice it, escape. It's honestly. both difficult it's nice. and yeah. also yeah, it's yeah. both difficult and a nice escape to 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 have this time to talk about stuff that's not everything that's dominating the headlines. So uh, mm-hmm. appreciate you sharing it, Jeff, and and bringing attention to the, what the reality is for a lot of people. And um, of course, um, you know we we are we're all thinking about you and, and wishing you well. Um, Thanks. Uh, so to smoothly transition into what we've been watching, I'm going to actually. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw the Saturday Night Live uh, had a sketch called ah. The Potties. Right. Oh yeah. And it was it was it was a uh, a fictional podcast award, and one of the awards that was awarded to the potties was like most rough transition into an ad, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I, I like. It was hilarious, but it's also very upsetting that the Slash Filmcast was not nominated for many of Jeff's strains. What? <laughs> I think that. What? I think we'd have be nominated for the opposite award, the inverse of that award, the most brilliant transition into an ad. I think it is I mean, it is interesting that we have many true crime podcasts that are sponsored by seemingly like yeah. more ephemeral things, you know, like Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't fit the tone of the of the show. Yeah, like I, I can't I can't name I'm not gonna name any any companies, but it's just like, you know, and you know, and that's why like, you know, she was covered in blood when they found her the next day. And you know what else is covered in things like <laughs> last night's chicken, you know, risotto. <laughs> uh, it's, just, it's just like Makes me think of marinara. <laughs> it's it's just such an odd, you know, because theoretically there are companies out there that are uh, more serious. You know that that um, like, if, are you looking for a loved one? Like, here's a service that helps you do. You know, like, but it's always like the most kind of lighthearted. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Uh, <laughs> lighthearted companies well, that are sponsoring one of my favorite shows right now is the uh, pre Barrara's uh, podcast. Yes. And that's a good he one. is so, yeah, he's so smart and erudite. And then he rolls into these ads. And I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know how to feel about this, but I like hearing him tell me these ads. So <laughs> I'll, I want this to keep going. Yes. I, I, uh, I also, I was watching Saturday Night Live last night and I uh, was tickled uh, that podcast sort of had arrived on on you know as a big enough medium to be skewered like that mm-hmm. that enough people got the gag right but i but there is also a part of me as an old podcaster who it bristles at this <laughs> notion that like podcasting was invented by mark Marin, you know yeah that like yeah. it didn't exist before 2010 um and uh you know as of somebody that made my living doing it uh three years before that i you know i uh, yeah, get off yeah, my lawn yeah. a little bit, but <laughs> it was uh, you know I, I sometimes have to remember that they write these things within a week, so sure. they can't always be as good as we'd want because there were some 
easy shots and it felt like they i don't know i felt like that could have been funnier but i did laugh at a uh, bro saving politics because yeah. i that's Clearly, why I yeah. can't listen to that show, basically. So, yeah, perfect. <laughs> also, I'm just going to put this out there. Like, I think I do a better Michael Barbaro impression than Leah Schreiber. I know. Live from the Me Undies Theater in Portland, it's The Potties. And here are your hosts. From Syria, Sarah Kane, And from New York Times The Daily, Michael Barbaro. <laughs> from Portland, I'm... Michael Barbaro. <laughs> and this is The Potties. Podcasts are everywhere. Last year, over three billion new podcasts were produced. I know, that's a lot. <laughs> They're like delicious little whispered documentaries. And tonight is for them. I'm so excited. I was like, oh, they introduced Michael Barbaro. I was like, in my car every morning, I do a Michael Barbaro impression. This is going to uh, be great. And then he just, it's like he never listened. All right, Jeff. But, Jeff so, first of all, Michael, for those who don't know, Michael Barbaro hosts a podcast for the New York Times called The Daily, uh, which is, in my opinion, an, like an excellent podcast. It has become. It's a miraculous podcast. Y- yes. It is like part of my daily rotation, right? Things, the best happen, daily show. Yeah. Yeah. things happen in the middle of the night, and then the next morning, they have a fully produced, exquisitely designed podcast delving deep into that topic and it's like how do they just not sleep um, does michael barbara just have the hours of 6 p.m to you know 4 a.m is that his like, work day what's amazing know. about the podcast is that he is interviewing the people who are actually making the news so like yeah i remember uh when the brett kavanaugh stuff was going on there's that woman that like screamed at jeff flake in the elevator and then like the next day they they're interviewing that woman you know that clip that went viral uh, and so he, it's yeah. it's a really amazing show. Uh, I mean, but, the, the the one on the midterms just the other day it was like he was <laughs> bothering people at the New York <laughs> Times as they were trying to do their work. So like so Jeff Kanata, I think we know where this conversation's heading, which mm. is you and I are going to have to do a Michael Barbaro off right now. <laughs> okay, and, uh, let, like let's hear your Michael Barbaro impression. <clears throat> All right, ready? Yep. I'm Michael Barbaro, and this is the Daily. Mm. I don't On know. today's day, I'm hearing the music. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, go, go ahead, Jeff. I'm I didn't. Know, I thought you were done. Go ahead. Start over again. Go ahead. Maybe the reason you thought I was done is because everything I say takes an hour. Mm. <laughs> it's <so> dramatic. <laughs> it's a good lead up into yeah. the show. Okay. Okay. Here we go. It's my. It's my turn, Jeff. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today on the Slash Filmcast, a review of The Girl in the Spider's Web, which is the newest Sony entry into the Dragon Tattoo franchise. Pretty good. Wow. That's pretty good. Pretty good. That's pretty I, good. <laughs> I'll have to leave it to our listeners to decide who won the Barbaroff. Yeah, uh, but, the Barbaroff, uh, yeah. That was pretty good. Pretty good. All right. Well, let's, let's get into it then, shall we? Um, so let's talk about what we've been watching this week. I had a chance to go see... The girl in the, the here, here's the full title The Girl in the Spider's Web, A New Dragon Tattoo Story, which rolls mm. trippingly yeah. off the tongue. Not confusing <laughs> at all. Um, I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. I love dragon tattoo stories. I, love, I know, it's my favorite kind of story, Jeff. <laughs> the dragon tattoo story. Um, <laughs> young computer hacker Lisbeth Salander and journalist Michael Blomquist find themselves caught in a web of spies, cyber criminals, and corrupt government officials. 
so this movie is theoretically a sequel to the David Fincher film Girl with Dragon Tattoo. Um, it is based off of a book that is not part of the original trilogy of books, though. I think it's like one of the later books that was written by a different mm-hmm. author. Uh, and it stars Claire Foy as uh, Elizabeth Slander and also uh, is directed by Feta Alvarez. Now, I've read a bunch of reviews of this movie before I went to go see it. And all the reviews said that this movie wasn't very good. And I watched video reviews that said the movie wasn't very good. And I really could have done anything with my Saturday You went anyway. Yeah. That wasn't <laughs> yeah. going to see this movie. But you know what, guys? Sometimes you got to see a movie sure. because you want to support the people who are in the movie, okay? You want more Dragon Tattoo stories. I want more Dragon yeah. Tattoo stories. Claire Foy, you know, she needs more work these days. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I, I don't know if you're being sarcastic, but I am a big fan of Claire Foy. I, I, yeah. I am a big fan, but she's also in everything this year. <laughs> yeah, so. She was just in First Man, yeah, that's right. Um, but no, I'm a big, okay, here, here, to wit, to wit, gentlemen, I'm a big uh, Claire Foy fan. I'm a big Lakeith Stanfield fan who's completely yes, wasted in this yes. film. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big Sylvia... Hoicks? Hoicks? She sure. was one of the villain characters in uh, uh, Blade Runner 2049. Such a big fan. You know her name. I, I mean, I actually, I mean, I, I know her name. I don't know how to pronounce it, Devendra. I think those are two <laughs> different things. Um, and of course, Feta Alvarez, he made Don't Breathe, which is one of my favorite films of that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was just thinking to myself, like, what is, what, you know, what is it about uh, this movie that would have attracted a director like Feta Like, Feta Alvarez, Don't Breathe, that was a hit, right? That movie made a decent chunk of change. It was very low budget. Uh, His so Evil Dead was pretty good, too. Evil Dead yeah. was pretty good, right? So it's like, okay, this guy has some juice now. Um, what is he going to use? Like, what, the, the, the thing you make after your big hit, I feel like, says a lot about a filmmaker. Like, what, you know, there's got to be something that attracted him to this story, right? That was my thinking going into it. And uh, I could not see it. I could not figure out what it was that attracted into the story. The movie is completely adequate. I think if you were wa- to watch it on TV or cable, you would think, ah, oh, it's, it's completely fine. Yeah. I will say it is gorgeously shot. There's some amazing cinematography in this movie um, and a few spectacular visuals. Like so, some of the visuals are great. I mean, the movie, the, the visuals are, are mm-hmm. better than the film that they are in. I hear um, this is like almost James Bond esque in terms of like the set pieces. The yes, uh, there there is one set piece where she's like riding on ice on a motorcycle. That's very uh, die another day esque. <laughs> that's but, exactly what you want to make people think of. Yeah. But there are other James Bond comparisons too, which is like like I think the the main sort of plot, the MacGuffin, is this device that lets you launch nu- like a, an individual launch nuclear weapons. And the the villain in this movie is just ridiculously like it's just so ridiculous and over the top. You know, it is very mm. James Bond esque in terms of what they're trying to do and their motivations. It's very silly. Uh, is that the is that what they've done with Elizabeth Salander? Because I, I read the first book, and boy, is it not trying to be James Bond. Yeah, uh, I, well, the other books, I'm very glad they didn't adapt the other two books uh, by the original author because they get real bad. Like, well, the really, first one's really the first bad. one's not good. The first one's yeah. not good either. It, the they're not good. Like, involves like a boxer and like yeah, a, a, a huge national conspiracy against Elizabeth Salander. It's really bad. It feels like fan fiction. So they did make those um, like uh, what the Swedish versions, right, of the original yeah. films. Like they did do those. I'm glad Fincher didn't touch that garbage, mm. and I'm glad we moved past that at least. 
Yeah, uh, well, there, you know, there was uh, uh, Fincher actually wanted to make the follow-up, and uh, it didn't work out. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, Fincher's version of Girl with Dragon Tattoo uh, did okay. Uh, it, it didn't. It, it, I think it was a ten million dollar debut, but it hoofed it all the way to like mm-hmm. around a hundred million, um, and that's like uh, quite. A, a, that movie has legs, as they say um, in in industry parlance. Uh, $232 million worldwide, $102 million uh, domestically. The problem with that movie is it was two and a half hours long and it cost $90 million, right? And this movie is two hours long and it cost around $40 million. So theoretically, if the movie did just as well, uh, it would be a success. But the problem is it's not going to do just as well, I don't think. Because, um, I don't know, it, it loses... Yeah. It, it has Nobody many wants same- this. Well, it's, it has many of the same characteristics of the first one, which is to say uh, pretty solid performances and great visuals. Uh, no James Bond. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but the, it, it is so much sillier than that Girl with Dragon Tattoo movie that came out in 2011. Uh, I just uh, – and yeah, I think, I, I think the time has passed for this franchise. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think mm-hmm. – uh, like you said, no one wants this. I don't think this is a movie franchise that people are like, when are they going to make the next one of those Dragon Tattoo stories? Um, so uh, it was ultimately a disappointment – but like I said, if you uh, if you are able to catch it uh, when it comes onto a, a streaming service or HBO or whatever, uh, I don't think you'll be that disappointed. I think it's like you know, it's it's a totally adequate thriller, uh, spy movie that has some great, great visuals and a good performance. So that's Girl with Dragon Tattoo or Girl in the Spider's Web, a Dragon Tattoo story. Um, I think that if you're making uh, an anthology of Dragon Tattoo stories, uh, I would I would like to see just stories of why you got that dragon tattoo I, i'd be into that yeah do that yeah i mean uh, why'd you get that dragon tattoo I a dragon they, tattoo story <laughs> i think they kind of explain it in this movie i think mm. yeah mm. so all right uh so gentlemen criterion collection uh it's had some sales recently you know every now and then at criterion.com or at barnes noble mm-hmm. Uh, there'll be like a 50% off Criterion sale. And yeah. by, by the way, speaking of Criterion, RIP Filmstruck, we did not mention that. We did mention week. that. That's right. I wanted to mention yeah. And, and in, in many ways, the death of Filmstruck is kind of a uh, vindication for those people who spent thousands of dollars collecting Criterion discs. And, <laughs> because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> because, you, know sure. uh, you never know uh, when you know, the digital version of it is going to go away. Right? That's and like so- saying... <laughs> It's like saying uh, it was good that I bought all those Star Wars action figures and kept them in the package because Toys R Us went bankrupt. That's right. That's exactly. Thank you, Jeff. That's a good analogy. <laughs> both. both well, I mean, those... the, the better analogy is uh, as uh, as our friend, our podcast friend, is pointing out. Uh, the, where, where are those Michael Bay criterions? Right. Yeah. You don't have uh, them anymore. Patrick, Patrick Willems, right, uh, has pointed out yeah. like the the Michael Bay Criterion discs have not hit Blu-ray. Specifically, Armageddon and The Rock, and those were good. Those were good discs. I, I were think good I still, discs. I think I still have those DVDs because uh-huh. I knew that there were no Blu-ray equivalents. So, yeah. Anyway, okay. So I recently went on a binge and bought a ton of Criterion uh, Blu-rays. One of the one of the discs I bought was Grey Gardens, the documentary by the Maisel Brothers. Uh, have you guys seen Grey Gardens by any chance? This a while is, ago. Yeah. This yeah. is a. Uh, this is an incredible documentary. It was made like four decades ago. It's about uh, these two women, uh, the Beals, mother and daughter, who uh, are, are kind of part of high society, but end up living in this house that uh, becomes increasingly decrepit and unsafe as the film progresses. 
Uh, and it's just a fascinating uh, documentary. I think it's it's part of a move. You know, according to Wikipedia, it's part of a movement called direct cinema, uh, which burgeoned in the fifties and sixties when cameras were able to be so portable that you could take them and film people in extremely kind of like intimate situations and capture them uh, in their daily lives, right? And and kind of remove barriers between cinema and reality. Uh, and so the movie is just really a series of mundane scenes between mother and daughter strung together. Uh, and they kind of like tell each other stories. They talk. Uh, they cross-talk over each other. They repeat stories over and over, often in different contexts. And it's a, it's a fascinating and tragic portrait of uh, what has happened to uh, these two people. And so it's obviously decades old. And many of you who are cinephiles have likely seen it and are probably shocked that I, I didn't see it in its entirety until now. Um, but I thought it was very powerful and very moving, and I'd recommend it uh, for anyone who's interested in kind of uh, the history of documentary and wants to see what the format was during this very specific point in time. The movie also spawned a HBO film in 2007, uh, 2009, I should say, which uh, apparently won multiple awards. So it it continues to live on. In, in it, This is a movie, Grey Gardens, I would say, that has huge cultural impact. Um, and so would, would strongly recommend you check it out if you have any interest in documentary. Uh, so that's Grey Gardens. It's on Criterion. Uh, but yeah, can, I saw, yeah, I ahead. saw it in film school. It was one of those like assigned films in film school. Mm-hmm. It's, that, it's that important. Yeah. I watched uh, the documentary now parody of Grey Gardens again recently after having seen the film, and uh, they really don't diverge that much from what the movie is. You know, like it's just like that. Uh, what what's in the movie, but slightly exaggerated, and, and that uh, that's how they chose to parody it. So uh, these characters are larger than life and very fascinating, and I'd recommend it. So that's Grey Gardens. That's what I've been watching this week. Devinder Hardor, what have you been watching? Oh, yeah, quickly, I just want to mention uh, Midnight Diner, Tokyo Stories. Uh, you probably have seen this pop up in your Netflix recommendations. Uh, this is a Japanese series about a chef who runs a midnight diner, uh, not surprisingly. Uh, and, you know, a various uh, array of characters comes in. He makes some food, and we hear their stories. It's a really, like, simple and peaceful little show. I believe it's based on a manga. Um, I just really enjoy it. It's a really nice and relaxing thing to watch. Uh, I started watching it as I was feeding my baby at night. Uh, so it's a good time to put on a show that's not too loud and easy to follow, uh, even if you can't see everything that's happening. Um, I just really enjoy it. So if you enjoy Japanese food or food uh, related media at all, uh, there's always like a central dish. But then it's always around characters and like uh, different stories it kind of reminds me of high maintenance in that way uh so if you like that sort of thing uh where you have recurring characters and then you know new people coming in and cool little side stories uh it's worth checking out uh just a really nice peaceful show i just googled it while you're talking about it devendra uh-huh. and it, it says here on vice uh midnight diner tokyo stories is a hidden gem on netflix here's yes. the series to watch while you're waiting for new high maintenance episodes so oh, yeah there you go there yeah. you go uh, so the show is Midnight Diner Tokyo Stories. It's on Netflix right now. Check it mm-hmm. out. Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching? I've also been watching a Netflix series. Um, it's called Bodyguard, and it is a BBC import onto Netflix. Evidently, it was a massive hit yeah. in the UK. I mean, there's like 17 million people watched the final episode, which I guess that's the equivalent of like 80 million here. It's just a huge percentage of the population. Um and it is on a Netflix now. 
It stars, uh, oh gosh, the guy who played Rob Stark. Richard Madden? Yes. (laughs) And this was a show I had recommended to me by several people. I'm I'm a bit of an Anglophile. I like BBC shows. And my wife and I sat down to watch the first one and we got immediately hooked. We watched the whole thing in I think three days, which isn't saying a lot. It's only six episodes, hour Mm -hmm. episodes each. But uh, for us, that's intense. It was a quick pace and we just could we and we would stop an epic we'd finish an episode and we'd turn to each other and we'd have intense conversations about what we thought was going on and there's a mystery that is uh presented and lots of information it's a very dense show i should say what it's about it is about um a politician well i should say it's it's more about a um a uh law enforcement Officer who gets promoted because he does something pretty dramatic gets promoted to be a bodyguard for a uh, political official, and then as a result gets kind of pulled into this crazy plot and intrigue and uh, doesn't know who to trust. And there's all kinds of craziness that goes on. This is a show that starts at eleven and then goes to twelve and thirteen in subsequent episodes. It is. <laughs> It is uh, crazy. It's intense. It's a show where you I, you never feel safe. You, you, anything can happen. Anybody is fair game in the show. I wouldn't put anything past it. We would have these wonderful conversations, my wife and I, at the end of episodes of like, what do you think? Oh, my God. Is that even real? What is it? Who's where are we? Go? Who's what can happen next? Do you think that person is going to be dead? I don't know. All this stuff. It's uh, it is I found it's very pulpy. It's it's very over the top, but this is what I wished, and I know I'm going to offend you guys when I say this, but this is what I wished 24 was going to be. Ooh, I did not care for that. That, that was exactly oh. that was exactly the show that came to mind when I watched. Oh, Jeff. Yeah. oh Jeff. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which I watched the first episode of Bodyguard, and I found it to be extremely silly. Like. I, it's I very 24 esque. Yeah. yeah, it's very it's extremely 24 esque, where you have this like tortured protagonist who has family problems uh who's trying to stop you know what is likely going to be a very uh big threat to national security mm-hmm. um but it, i just i just found it so over the top like i i, I yeah. found it to be like not only is this guy um does he have family problems but he's also an extremely angry drunk and yet also extremely competent uh and you know it it just layers on all these uh, cliches of these kind of shows in a way in a way that i thought was uh hard to take seriously uh but you know you've only seen the first episode right dave i've only seen episode one that's right i i would it's (laughs) entirely possible the show is not for you yeah i would i would urge you to watch episode two okay just watch episode two I, I think you'd really enjoy it because we've also talked about Homeland. And I think Homeland was always a slightly more, it, it was a slightly more mature version of what was going on in 24. And this show is definitely pulpier than Homeland, but it feels like a mix between that and 24 in a way. Uh, How many I think episodes are you enjoy. in, Andrew? I've seen two at this okay. point. Uh, I will second, say it's definitely... Yeah, if, if the second episode mm-hmm. doesn't grab you, it probably won't ever. But yeah, I think yeah. this is like 24 with balls. Mm. And I, I don't uh, mean that in a sexist way. Did you ever I mean watch that. Homeland, Jeff? I did. I watched okay. the first three seasons of Homeland. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. 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 Those, that, good, those are good show, seasons. Those are pretty good yeah. seasons, I'd say. Yeah. So I definitely agree. Like there are cliches all over the place here. It feels like this show should have existed a decade ago uh, when everybody was trying to chase 24. Uh, but for, you know, I think for what it is now, it's a pretty well-made version of these things. The one thing I will point out, uh, it does seem 
like so many of these shows, particularly Islamophobic, um, I did recommend, I highly recommended Jack Ryan. And I think that did a better job of trying to convey the idea of, you know, uh, Islamic terror cells and things like that today with a more nuanced and sympathetic tone, I'd say. I, I don't know. At least the first episode of this feels it was super cheesy. It feels it does pretty feel like... not nuanced. That's how yeah, I describe yeah. it. Uh, watching yeah, the first episode. I, I, yeah. I don't. Th- I don't think that's a invalid criticism. Uh, it is a very diverse cast, which is nice. Yeah. But um, the uh, that is not inaccurate. The, the show is very little about that, though. It turns out uh, it it starts there and it goes into much. I think more interesting places and oh, it's good. Yeah. also really. In the way that 24 never used to, it, I think it really respects the intelligence of its audience. Uh, I know you're, I know you're laughing at that from the first episode, but the first, the first episode is is kind of a red herring. Like okay. the entire show isn't about any of that. It's uh, it's about this other thing, and uh, and that other thing I think is denser. Again, I, I'm the first to say it's very pulpy. It's, mm-hmm. it's very much it re, it it uh, watches like you're reading a pulp novel like a but like I, a novel you'd buy at, at the airport or something yeah. yeah but i but i think it is uh a smart pulp novel and uh, i think a well-made pulp novel and, and and a dense one that respects its audience's intelligence like it's not it's i don't i don't think it's as goofy as as the first episode may lead you to believe and i i think the second episode i think you'll be impressed dave but i could be wrong all right i'll check it out the second episode and then decide from there that's yeah. bodyguard it's on netflix right now uh, Jeff, anything else you've been watching? Well, I wanted to update everybody. I finished uh, American Vandal season one, so you can call off the hounds. Oh I, yeah, I finished Woo! watching it. I I loved the show. I loved it's it. So good. I, I loved it. And um, this is a show that I I thoroughly misjudged when I first uh, approached it. It is exceptional. Uh, it's kind of impossible how good it is. <laughs> I can't believe it. But um, it also ends exactly as it should. It, mm-hmm. it is it is one of those unlikely uh things in art where the ending is is exactly as you would want it to be <laughs> it's just like so beautiful and smart and uh has a one- wonderful payoffs in all kinds of ways uh, i just it's amazing it's an amazing show with amazing cast i immediately leaped into season two and i love the fact that season two is quote unquote by the same documentarians like they carries over those characters i thought that was brilliant and i I like the netflix tie-in there yes like like they acknowledge that they got picked up by netflix it's great um also if you look at the opening credits uh you'll see that there are like the cinematographer ming is a character from the first season of the show it's so great um and i i also like that the second season is really tackling the one aspect of those kinds of shows that the first season didn't which is the this sort of uh, uh, false confession thing. But I have to admit, I'm not as hooked uh, into the second season. I, I, I kind of rushed through the first season because I just loved every episode and was intrigued by the mystery of it all. The second season, I am not, I'm not as in love with the cast of characters and the situation. So uh, I'm moving much slower through it. I'm, I find myself distracted. I don't know if you guys finished the second season. Yeah, uh, I did. I uh, loved we've, it. We finished uh, the second season, yeah. Yeah, the, the initial, the opening episodes, the second season, like the, the situation 
the thing that happens is so is pretty glorious. It is one of those things I don't think I'll be able to forget. Just the way they staged it, like how gross yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, I, I, was, I think I it really did raise it lunch, and it was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jeff, it's my turn to ask you: How many episodes into season two are you? I believe I'm on episode three. So I, I, like I said, I'm going much slower and I'm sort of getting distracted. So maybe I should power through. Have you been introduced to the character Demarcus Tillman yet? That doesn't sound familiar. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I I mean, in my opinion, Demarcus Tillman, who's played by uh, an actor named Melvin Gregg. Yeah. That is one of the finest comedic performances of the year. Um, Oh, okay. And Demarcus, is he? He's the uh, basketball player. No. I have not gotten yeah. to that. So I would definitely stick through because that character, what that character's arc is this season is really, really compelling. So definitely. Awesome. So it's my, you know, I'll watch episode two Bodyguard. You stick it through uh, until like you get to know DeMarcus Tillman. Deal. And, Sounds good. Uh, we'll go from there. So that's uh, glad you're enjoying it, Jeff. Glad you're recognizing the glory. Unfortunately, Netflix will not be airing season three of American Vandal, uh, but the show is currently looking for a new home, and I hope it finds it. So I uh, hope so too. I, I think this is an exquisite piece of a parody, and it, it, I just it like couldn't be better. It, it knows what it's doing so so confident and so perfect. It's great. That's American Vandal season two. And uh, oh, also season two, really digging the Errol Morris style uh, recreations, uh, reenactments, yeah. right? Like they they didn't they did not do that in in, uh, in I, season one. Do they ever acknowledge that? Because I'd love I love there to be a moment where the the filmmakers talk about staging a a poop explosion scene. You know, like do they ever acknowledge that in no. the? In the they uh, never they never talk about it, but I I just I did think it was interesting that they're like they are they are pushing themselves stylistically into, like mm, not just yeah. the fake filmmakers in the show, but like the actual filmmaker uh, Tony Ascenda, I think is the director. Right. Um, he's pushing himself like uh, stylistically in the second season as well. So I really appreciate that. Anyway, American Vandal season two, check it out. It's awesome. All right, folks, it has been a while since we've done a slash film court, so let's do one today. Slash film court. Slash film court. The Slash Film Court is the fairly irregular segment whereby we adjudicate a movie-related dilemma. You can always email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com to submit your movie dilemma. Please let us know where you're from when you do that. Uh, This email today comes in from Matt. And this was... this uh, email had layers to it, right? This, this slash film court issue had layers. So, like, you had to peel it back. It's like an onion. Matt writes in, At my local cinema, there is a particularly notorious employee who is the definition of a stickler for the rules. He's the kind of guy that will watch you enter a completely deserted cinema to purchase tickets to a matinee session, and then, once you decide to enter the cinema, will sprint like a wild cheetah to cut you off at the entrance and check on your tickets. He also <laughs> may be the sort of... Uh, maybe That's entrapment! <laughs> he also may be some sort of mythical being, as he has worked there for at least five years and still looks like he's about 16. Last week, a friend of mine told me about how they'd gone to a session of Overlord and during the pre-film advertising had been startled when this particular employee emerged from out of the blue and demanded to check their IDs. My friend is in his 20s and sporting a beard, so refused to comply. After all, he was already ID'd at the counter. From the sound of things, the employee gave up and brushed it off. Then the other day, 
Another of my friends told me she had gone to see Bohemian Rhapsody and was in a completely empty cinema. That is, until this particular employee saunters in not to work. He's come in on his day off to see the film. The employee kept to himself, taking a seat at the back of the room. This was until my friend's companion proceeded to put his foot up on the seat in front of him and was promptly told off by the employee, who apparently made a big show of telling him how he worked at the cinema. <laughs> Later on during the film, my friend covertly checked her phone. Shameful, I know. At the sight of this, the aforementioned maniac employee wandered down, started swearing at her, and demanded she put it away. He then proceeded to sit in the seat behind them for the rest of the film. <laughs> Now, obviously, swearing at her and sitting behind them was borderline abusive and downright creepy at best. I was gobsmacked. She said to the, she said nothing to the staff who were actually working that day. However, the story does raise a few questions I'd be interested in hearing your opinions on. One, should staff be allowed to ask for ID once you've been let into the cinema? Two, is it okay to put your feet up if the cinema's empty? Three, if there's only one person in the cinema who is seated far from you, is there a case for checking your phone as covertly as you can? And four, most pressing, do cinema staff actually have any authority over you if, there isn't, if they are not there in a working capacity? We'd love to hear what you think. Thanks again. Uh, I think you guys do an excellent job of the show. Cheers, Matt. Okay. So that's the email from Matt. That's the Slash Film Court Dilemma today. So many, many layers here. Why don't we tackle these one by one? Okay. Mm. Uh, number one, should staff be allowed to ask for ID once you've been let into the cinema? What do you guys Is think? Is that even I, a thing? I, I have never heard of that happening before in my yeah. life. Yeah, that's because we're full-grown adults. No, but even in high school, yeah. it was like, when, never Once you're ID'd at the desk, you know, yeah. like, I, I just can't imagine someone barging in there and <laughs> asking for ID once you've been seated. <laughs> well, let me say, let me say, let me say a, a more global response. Uh, we'll, we'll get into the weeds here in a second, yes. but I want to say I... In high school, I worked at a movie theater. You were this guy, was, weren't you? Well, there was a guy I knew there. Let's call him Bluff. Yeah. Let's call him Bluff. Let's call him Bluff. Uh, just to, you know, because his name was Bluff. Uh, Bluff <laughs> Blanata, he, let's say he took his job a little more seriously than he should have. First job, well, not really first job, but his first actual, like, going to a place job. Mm. Uh, he cared about it a lot. And uh, probably was uh, more of a stickler for things than he should have been. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Bluff ever went this far, but uh, Spoil- spoiler: definitely... this email was written to us from thirty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but also, uh, well, that really overestimating how old I am, and I, wow, I'm offended. Dave, I'm offended. Yeah, really, <laughs> uh, really. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the thing about a, a character like like this that I have known in my life. Uh, is that they there's a there's a feeling of ownership about the place, right? right? Because right. they come there every day, they care. These are the kind of employees that you want. These are the people that actually care about what they're doing. Is he going too far? Yes. Yeah. Maybe, yes, he's maybe going not in the customer service capacity, you right? Know? Yeah. But he actually, I would rather have th- this kind of bluff like character <laughs> than than somebody who just. Eh, I don't care. Not my job. Not I'm not worried about it. Like, uh, hey, can you? Oh, oh Jeff, make- Jeff, can I can I tell you? Let me tell you what the alternative is. <laughs> let me tell you what the alternative is. Okay. Mm, so yeah. there is a theater in Seattle. It's called. It used to be called Sundance Cinema. It was then acquired by AMC. So it is now the AMC Seattle Ten. I am lighting up AMC Seattle Ten right now on the podcast. Right. Uh, I used to really enjoy going to Sundance Cinema, which is now AMC Seattle Ten, and. Uh, the food used to be decent. There used to, the service used to be fine. Um, <laughs> the food is now 
terrible. Like some, somehow the mm. food was made much worse after AMC. You don't them. like microwave the chinger, what, the, the chicken, chicken fingers? fingers? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or chingers. Like every every chingers single. Yeah, everything. The problem it's is every single AMC basically. <laughs> The problem is chinger sounds offensive. Chingers The chinger sounds offensive. Um okay, so so my my colleague I don't understand why you don't like these chingers, sir. Uh, it's not chicken. It's definitely not chicken. Okay. Um so, so my friend went there. My friend went there recently to go see Star is Born, right? And uh the the, the showing is at like seven fifteen, right? 7.30 rolls around, 7.35 rolls around. They start looking, he and his friends start looking at each other They're like, hey, um, what time is this movie supposed to start? And so one of them goes out into the lobby and like talks to one of them and is like, hey, um, is Star is Born playing at 7.00? And the guy's like, oh, shit. Like, and then he like, and so it, like he, he had not realized that the movie was supposed to be playing. So he like quickly runs up to go play it. And then there was like... Action, action is happening. He was uh, too busy microwaving all the chingers. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I feel like they just don't really care right now. Uh, well, I told you I told you that long story, and people have to go back and find the episode because I'm not going to retell it, but I told you that long story about you know, paying for the Dolby cinema uh, and the thing being in the wrong format and tiny on the screen and going out and complaining and then being like, I don't know, that's just how they sent it to us. And I'm yeah. like, that is not how they sent it to you. Yeah. You don't, yeah. And you don't want that. You don't want, you'd much rather someone be too invested, right? Right, right. That's so my point. That's we're exactly on the same page. I guess. We're on the I, same I think page. There, there are bad sides to both things. And honestly, like if I were just uh, on an overall level, if all these things happened to me with one employee, I definitely would have started like you know asking for the manager and complaining about this person because it's kind of insane but i think the last bit is definitely abusive okay, okay. so cool. let's talk about it. let's talk about this should staff be allowed to ask for id once you've been led to the cinema i think we all agree no you shouldn't be allowed to uh, why not absolutely should if you let if it's a multiplex and they're standing in front of the door on the rated r movie and two kids walk listen, in listen listen if they got through the ticket yeah seller, if they get through the ticket window that's you it know what I'm, saying? That's, I'm not gonna be the narc on that kid no yeah, like you, if you got through the ticket window it's like hey you know you're you're yeah. you, you're, you're probably okay and this um, isn't a law or anything this is this is just like <laughs> a suggestion it's completely voluntary enforcement right so that is the id stuff I would yeah. love them to voluntarily enforce it more. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> You're saying you would be 100% okay if someone came into a theater that you were already seated at and was like, please show me your ID. I don't believe you're over. No, I'm I, I don't. I'm not saying it said into the cinema, not into the oh, – okay, Jeff the just individual. wants to cut out the riffraff. I get it. Okay. <laughs> I'm saying at the door. Like if you're, you, you were oh, let yeah. into the multiplex, but at the door they ask for your ID, I'm fine with that. Oh, uh, Coming uh, in and like okay. spot Completely checking. Completely acceptable. But he, this guy is saying yeah. – um, the pre-film advertising had been started when this particular employee emerged and demanded to check. Like they're already seated yeah, in uh, a theater, right? Fair so, enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. I, that that is a, a bridge too far. Okay, that's a bridge too far. So, should staff be allowed to ask for ID? No. The slash home court rules. No. Question two: Is it okay to put your feet up if the cinema's empty? Let me tell you a story. I went to go see uh, Girls in Spider's Web right uh-huh. recently, and every time I go into a men's room at a at a theater. I cannot help but think of Polly Walnut's character uh, in The Sopranos, uh, who once gave an extended monologue about uh, tying your shoelaces, right? And yep. why, why mm-hmm. like, he washes his hands so much is because, I, you know, I tied my shoelace and I had to wash my hands. Have you ever been inside a men's room? Have, have you ever seen the floor of a men's room? It's like a fucking sewer. That's what he said. 
And I was standing at you know at the urinal at Girl and Spider's Web and realized like never look down. The the ground is just completely soaked with (laughs) God knows what liquids. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, you know, I think we're all fans of the campground theory of cinemas, which is Uh like you should leave them in better condition than when you went in. So under that logic, no, do not put your feet up in the fucking cinema because you have no idea what's in that. What's on those feet? Just as a general courtesy, there is that. Also, <laughs> let me tell you a story. I went to see a theater, or I went to see a movie here at the Court Street Theater in Brooklyn, which is kind of notorious for being particularly shitty. Um, but I was just sitting in like a, a decent seat. It was pretty empty, and uh, I was leaning back a little. And all of a sudden, there is a foot or a shoe on my head, like a like a slight <laughs> kick to my head. And this old guy behind me was just—he was in that like the first row of the second level. So you have like those bars in front and you know, he's just kind of reclining and kicking out there, but he kicked out so far. He like, he hit me in the head. I'm like, dude, uh, that's all I can say. Like, what are you doing? And he apologized and like went back to watching the movie. I just moved over a couple of seats, but you don't need to, you don't need to put your feet on the seats. Uh, I will say the one time where it may be okay is, is those bars. But even now, like I, I'm careful if I do that because people could be sitting next to the bars. Right. Or yeah. 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 That is the only downside of stadium seating. Yeah, mm-hmm. It really is. All right. So I think we're all agreed. Don't put up your feet. If this, it's not, it's not about whether you're bothering other people. It's also just about like, yeah, like keeping the cinema in good condition. It's disgusting. Yeah, yeah and I don't want to adjudicate outside our jurisdiction, uh, <laughs> but I also say this is exactly the reason that it's it's uh, barbaric to keep your feet on in the uh, keep your shoes on in the house. Yes. People that don't take their yeah. shoes off in the house, I, I will never understand. But yeah. uh, again. Outside our jurisdiction. <laughs> this is like watching TV for me uh, growing up was always strange because people would be like on their beds. On their, their beds. Sneakers. That's the thing I don't like, understand. What the hell on is their this? bed. Yeah. That, that yeah. I don't get. I mean, the, inside the house, I, I agree that's disgusting. And of course, most Asian people say you got to take your shoes off in the house. So yep. like we've, yep. we've lived that our whole life. But shoes on the bed is just like incomprehensible to me. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um, guys, we're, we're, we're going off the rails here. Okay. Question three. If there is only one other person in the cinema who is seated far from you, is there a case for checking your phone as covertly as you can? Uh, here's my response to that. Of course, you should never check your phone in a cinema. However, the big question that's unanswered in this is where you are seated in relation to each other. If right. you are in front of them, then no, you should not check your phone because you're, you're disrupting their experience. If you are in the back and they're like seated eight rows in front of you, I don't think they're going to care. Um, I, I would go farther, Dave. I believe, and I know this might ruffle some feathers. It's, you're ruffling, Doherty, yep. I, I believe there is a way to check your phone covertly in a movie theater. I, I believe, wow. There, I, now, now, now hear me out. I do not, I'm not advocating for a response on your phone, but if you're just looking to see what that message is, there's a way to turn and tuck and <laughs> it is under uh, in the side if, of if your you body. If you have like a jacket or if you have like yes. a hoodie and you can hide it, yes, sure. If you don't, uh, that feels that feels like a cinema crime. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, uh, okay, I agree. Jeff. I agree. There are there are many ways to not do that correctly, but there is a way to do it polite and have it not affect anyone but you. And you can just sure. quickly see what that is, and if it's an emergency from your wife or child, I think it's okay. I was say. ready to call for you to be disbarred from the slash film court, but I think <laughs> you're describing an edge case where, which which I will say, I will say that on an extremely rare occasion, I may have done exactly what you're describing, which is. Sure. Checked my device, but in a, in a way that is extremely considerate 
uh, to other people. Like, not only am I thinking like, okay, I gotta, I gotta wrap, you know, my jacket around my phone. I gotta make sure no light is escaping <laughs> right. from my jacket cavity. It can't, yeah. it can't be done. It can't be done. It can't be done. I'm not in any way advocating for response. Response is is over the line. There's no you do not you leave the theater if you need to make a response. But if you just want to see what that message is, there's a way it can be done. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's fair enough. Um, and then finally, question four, most pressing: Do cinema staff actually have any authority over you if they are not there in a working capacity? <laughs> I love this question because because it's like it, it's talking about cinema employees as though they're cops. You know, like yeah, if yeah. there's they, a plainclothes cop have that arrests very you, very little authority over you in <laughs> if, general. If yeah. I ask you if you're a cinema employee, you have to tell me, <laughs> <laughs> and you have to show the badge and read your rights. Read them, yeah. <laughs> um, no, cinema staff do not actually, I mean, like, define authority. Like, they, they can probably talk to their manager and eject you, mm-hmm. but they can't, they can't make you do anything. You know what I mean? Like, they, there's nothing legal about what they're doing other than enforcing yeah. their own private property rights. And even uh, ejecting you is, like, a whole process because they have to, like, probably get security or something, too. Like, it's, yeah. a, it's a thing. It's a whole yeah. thing. So they the can't answer touch your, you. The answer to this question is no. They, they do not actually have any authority <laughs> over you. Whether even if they are there in a working capacity, they they do not have any authority over you. You should respect them, um, but you know they can't they can't make you do anything. Well, like except for this guy. Right. This guy sounds like a dick, so maybe don't respect him. I don't know. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. But we'd much rather someone be overinvested than not. Um, and, and I and I, I should agree. Like I, I don't think this person Matt who wrote in is asking the right questions. To be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, this the, the question I would have asked is, is it okay for this person to then sit directly behind you and make sure you're not using your phone? Um, which, yeah. I, I just, I, I, you know, I don't think that's a reasonable thing to do. Like, you, I, I personally, I try to remove myself from situations where there's going to be conflict. I, w- I went to go see the movie Widows last week, <laughs> and there were these annoying Chinese people talking behind me the entire film. And rather than confront them, possibly in Chinese... Uh, I decided to just remove myself from the situation. I, I, I came with two friends. I, I said to both my friends, I, I whispered to them, I'm getting up and moving to another seat. <laughs> and those Did Chinese people too? turned to you and shushed you. <laughs> <laughs> rather than, rather than like confront them, that's, that was my step that I took. Dave, um, that is why you are not qualified to be a licensed cinema employee because yeah. Yeah. match for you exactly yeah no we've learned a lot about my qualifications tonight so but, but in this case by the way like real world advice like talk to the manager like if you go there enough and you see this person there enough you probably know who's actually in charge and <laughs> you don't want to get people fired but you could be like hey dude chill out like tell your guy to relax a but Devendra, what something. you're doing you're setting up matt to go here's what's gonna happen to matt he's gonna ask this dude uh-huh. Uh, hey, can I speak to your manager, please? And that dude's going to say you're talking to him right now. Doesn't have to, well, could be. <laughs> or you could go another time when the dude's out there. If you're really that, you know, non-confrontational. Yeah, if you're that, you could exercise. go another time. Yeah. Uh, you can, if it's a chain, you can lobby a complaint in other ways. Usually online. There are a lot of ways to do this. Uh, I'm somebody. Uh, you know, I worked in customer service for a very, very long time, and that's really important to me. So this guy uh, needs to be kicked off. Or something like, or at least needs to be admonished he needs to be for what disciplined. he's doing. I don't think he needs to be yeah. fired or anything, but I think he he needs to understand that there are limits to bluff like behavior that yeah. people can stomach. So, uh, yeah, I once, uh, I mean, bluff once uh, was in a situation <laughs> where uh, uh, <laughs> this woman <laughs> called bluff a young pup uh, oh. to, to bluff's manager. 
She's like, you need to call off your young pup. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? I don't even remember. I, I, I There was something that was problematic and uh she's like i want to talk to your manager and i was like oh yeah you you definitely need to talk to my manager because he's gonna have my back and Uh then my manager came out and he's like oh i'm so sorry ma'am it's fine here's some free tickets for the theater i was like what the that's their job their job is to give them free tickets and apologize basically but yeah yeah all right well that's our response uh to every one of matt's questions Thank you, Matt, and to all the other people who have been writing into the Slash Film Court. You can always reach us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Write to us with your dilemma, and we will try to adjudicate it here on the podcast. All righty, let's get to our review of Overlord. Welcome to France. What happened here? Some questions don't have good answers. Soldiers out there, and there's only four of us. Find out what's inside that compound. That was from the trailer for Overlord, the new film by Julius Avery. It was written by Mark L. Smith and Billy Ray. Billy Ray, I know that's uh, one of your favorite screenwriters, right, Devendra? Yeah, and and director, honestly, between like Shattered Glass and Breach. Yeah, Very talented dude. Uh, this is a bad robot production uh, with J.J. Abrams. There's actually some confusion, I think, over whether this mm-hmm. was going to be a Cloverfield movie at one point. I mean, it might as well be. Isn't it? Anything can be a Cloverfield movie if you wish hard enough, guys. <laughs> I actually I actually am curious if this movie would have performed better at the box office if it was called Cloverfield, right, you right. know, colon, it's a, Overlord. It's a terrible, bland title. Yeah, o- the, o- the Overlord's title is, not great. Yeah, It means yeah. nothing. Yeah. Right. So, uh, it the, should have been called Wolfenstein. How about that? Yeah, that would Wouldn't that, that have sure. been incredible? Like, that would have... Okay, yeah. Anyway, um, the plot summary from IMDb is, A little squad of American soldiers finds horror behind enemy lines on the eve of D-Day. What, what is with this IMDb? A little squad? Probably a small squad? Would, anyway. Um, <laughs> so that's what the movie's about. Uh, Jeff, what do you think of, of Overlord? Well, Dave... I think my opinion can best be summed up in the form of a limerick. Uh, can it be? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Ready? Uh, it's not an art film like Koyaanisqatsi, but Wyatt Russell got his father's moxie. In wow. 2018, there's a joy just in seeing any movie that's about punching Nazis. All right. Oh, man. You know, that's, that pretty, that's pretty good, Ryan Jeff. It's pretty good. That's pretty yeah. good. I got to say, like, I was not looking forward to that, but... Uh... Moxie and what was the other Nazi and then what was the other rhyme? Koyaanisqatsi. I mean, that's just <laughs> wow. Like, I mean, you worked hard on that, right, Jeff? Yeah, you worked hard. Yeah, on I that. did. I yeah. did. And uh, maybe you should start looking forward to them, Dave, because they're not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I'm sorry. I was so amazed by Koyaanisqatsi Nazi rhyme that I I, for, I didn't really understand what you thought about the movie. <laughs> Uh, I had a blast with this movie. Yeah. It is uh, it is just fun. It's it's a violent, over the top, gory, just good time. It's loud. It's bombastic, uh, but it doesn't insult your intelligence. There, 
you know, there's some clunky dialogue. There are some characters that are less memorable than others. But overall, it's just, it's fun. It's got some uh, really satisfying set pieces. It's got a, a really cool premise. Like Devendra said, I'm a fan of the Wolfenstein video games, and this is the best Wolfenstein movie I could have ever imagined. It is, yeah. It's the fun of those Wolfenstein games. It's fu- the fun, not really the l- latest Wolfenstein game. That one's like set in the 60s and kind of a departure and right. it's, its own weirdness. It's like steampunk. The new one's like steampunk, like alternate. Yeah. Well, it's more like, yes, yeah, 60s. It's psychedelic and crazy. But right. uh, the traditional, the more, uh, like, the older world war ii wolfenstein movies i mean this is this is that that fun that like a cult just imagine like why wrestle's character at the end was like he just revealed his last name is blaskowicz that would be amazing right that would be amazing uh could easily have happened they would have literally had to change nothing nothing (laughs) nothing at all just a title and licensing yeah yeah um but yeah i mean it really isn't more complicated than that it's just uh, i think fun it's those kinds of movies that I enjoyed growing up that were uh, sort of visceral and uh, disposable popcorn films, but like had an edge. And this movie, it, it hits, it hits all that fun stuff. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to make you think overly hard, but it, it's got some great uh, satisfying moments. And I, I just had a great time with it. Divin, your hardware, your thoughts on Overlord. Yeah, pretty much the same. Like it's, it's a really, it's a fun ride of a film. Um, and the thing is like, it's so it's, it's a tight genre movie and it's so simple in terms of what it's trying to do. And the enjoyment mainly comes from punching Nazis. And that's kind of what we all want to see today. I was surprised. I didn't realize Billy Ray, uh, had like co-wrote this movie and he also has a story credit. Um, I feel like Billy Ray, a guy who's written a lot of like smart intellectual movies, just wanted to punch some Nazis on camera. And, uh, you know, he made it happen. Power to him. Uh, I think the, the set pieces are fantastic. This movie looks good. I like most of the actors. Uh, Joven Adepo is a tremendous actor. He was in The Leftovers. Yeah, and Leftovers. That's where I remember him from. Yeah. So, yeah, really nice seeing him, uh, you know, taking on a more action-oriented role. And also Wyatt Russell, I think, fully channeling Kurt Russell at this point. Like, just full-on doing it. Um, yeah, this is his The Thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, it, it's funny too. Like, he is the mysterious character with like a damaged past, but you know at the beginning of the movie exactly who that character is, and of course, Kurt Russell's son is playing that character. Uh, so dug all that. The the secondary characters not so much, except for um, uh, the girl they work with, uh, played by Matilda Olivier, I believe, and she is fantastic. Like she, she is, is tough and cool and really interesting, and adds some depth to this movie as well. Uh, I wish maybe we got a little more of this world in terms of what's happening or what it, the overall plan is with these Nazis and their experiments. But what we get is really nice and tight and it kind of hints at maybe, you know, following up eventually. And I wouldn't mind seeing that. So I think I agree. You know, th- uh, there's like specific scenes we can talk about uh, how we like them during the spoilers. But overall, I-, I thought this movie was a lot of fun and I was actually surprised at how much I liked it. I, I thought I would like, you know, probably find it to be pretty enjoyable but i mm-hmm. left the theater being like wow i really really enjoyed watching this movie uh i think you like you guys have pointed out the, the casting is really great uh julius avery does a great job uh directing 
And uh, there, yeah, there are some really amazing sequences in here, and it kind of just understands uh, how to deliver on the genre thrills. It does have a few problems. I actually think that Wyatt Russell is kind of miscast. That character feels like he should have been ten years older, uh, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he doesn't have a bad performance. I just don't think he really looks the part of what. How could you find? How could you find an older version of Wyatt Russell? <laughs> I know. It sounds it's impossible. Impossible. I don't to know. Do. Uh, it also like a one generation removed. <laughs> How do you uh, get it? No. The movie also suffers from a severe scarcity of Bokeem Woodbine, in my opinion. Um, yes. he's in yeah. the movie, but he's not in it for that long. And I wish, uh, I wish there was more of him in the movie. But uh, what I really was surprised by is that I actually gave a crap about these characters and what happened to them. You know, I that's really like by the end. I mean. Uh, it's like with Saving Private Ryan, right? Like mm-hmm. all these characters have one characteristic, basically, and it's the movie's job to illustrate that characteristic, make it vivid, and also make you care about them. And I think the movie actually did that. Uh, and so by the end, I was like, really like invested in like yeah. hoping, oh, you know, so and so makes it out of this alive. This um, is the Saving Private Ryan of Nazi zombie movies. That's right. <laughs> that's right. It's also exactly how I thought I was going to feel about the new Predator movie, uh-huh. like this. This movie, I mean, they're very yeah. different movies, but this movie delivers the exact feeling I wanted mm-hmm. from that movie because I thought Shane Black doing it was going to be you know, so so fun. Uh, this movie is what that should have been. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And it's, it's interesting, too, because Julius Avery, this is his second movie, basically, whereas Shane Black is uh, decades, seasoned for decades, you know? So um, I think probably part of it has to do with the fact that uh, this is like a, a bad robot production, and I, I my I don't know, like my hunch, which is completely not backed up by anything, is that um, the director in this case probably had a little bit more freedom than than Shane Black had in the Predators case. Right. Um, but I'm not. I have no backup for that whatsoever. That's just kind of uh, what I would surmise based on what the final product. Like this feel. This movie feels like much more of a cohesive whole than than mm-hmm. the Predator movie did. But just in terms of like the budget and you know the fact that this is original and not a huge franchise or something. Yeah, like you know, there, there right. there's more room to just be your own thing. This is that rare movie that is wholly original, not based on an IP. And it is a hybrid of a war movie and a horror thriller, you know, sci-fi thriller thing. Uh, and that's just very, very – we'll probably never see – I don't think we've ever seen a movie like that in the history of the Slash Filmcast. And we likely never will. And so uh, I had a great time with this movie and uh, I think I, – I hope that it gets rediscovered when it comes out on home video. Julius Avery is not going anywhere. He has been uh, tapped to direct the new Flash Gordon movie at Fox. Um, any of you guys looking forward to Flash Gordon? Well, I am now. <laughs> <laughs> Were you a fan of Flash Gordon, the original, Jeff Kanata? Oh, as a kid? Yeah, I loved that movie. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I um, – yes, because there weren't superhero movies when I was a kid. There was like mm. that and Superman the movie, and that was all I had. Um, I'm old. But also, um, you know, it's not a character I have any particular affection for. But I, having seen Overlord, I'm now and now looking forward to it. I think that's it could be cool, and it's a character that has uh, a little enough baggage that you could actually have some freedom with it and do something cool. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, hopefully, there's not going to be you know waves of internet people being like, "Why did you make Flash Gordon, you know, uh, blonde or whatever, you know, or red, <laughs> redhead or whatever the hell, you know." Um, yeah, or, you bet yeah. there are going to be complaints. You bet there are. <laughs> I mean, yeah, whatever. All right. 
let's talk about some Overlord spoilers starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. So I want to mention a few sequences that I thought were particularly well done. First of all, I have to say I kind of admire the fact that this movie took one hour before it even introduced the premise of the movie. Well, that's why I kind of wish that they hadn't – I mean I understand you have to market what this movie is marketed as. But if I had actually just thought this was a World War II movie and then all of a sudden it it sort of pulls a – uh, from dusk till dawn on you, that would have been mm-hmm. rad. You know, I think that would have been really cool. I'm sure, like uh, knowing J.J. Abrams and kind of like what his his whole you know penchant is towards surprising and mystery boxes and stuff, uh, they really let the cat out of the bag with all the advertising and the marketing and the trailers. Yeah, for they, this really movie. So they really did. So really, it did. seems like they had no faith that people would want to see this movie if they didn't know it was actually going to be a genre movie. And honestly, yeah, I, I would probably have very little interest in seeing a war movie from Bad Robot if I didn't know something else was going on there yeah, yeah. i think it would be hard to market it as that. just a war movie you know like yeah, yeah. it would be tough it'd be tough um because because typically in a war movie there is like a central conflict you know mm-hmm. there is like a big battle or something like that and that doesn't happen in this film so but i tell you what that first sequence in the in the airplane coming in and getting out <laughs> uh is I mean, you're not waiting around for the occult stuff to happen for this movie right, to get right. good. It is already balls to the wall and awesome. It, yeah. I, you know, well, so me, I don't know if they could have cobbled something together out of that stuff. Let me ask you this question, Jeff Kanata, uh, longtime video game fan and host of video game podcast DLC. Dalton from Florida emailed into slash from uh, Quote, I love video games. I'm currently 30 plus hours into Red Dead Redemption 2. Me too, Dalton. Oh, this, yeah. This film felt like a game. Opening yep. scene, jumping from a damaged plane, scenes where Boyce or Ford had to be quiet and stealth walk around, Boyce exploring mm-hmm. the lab, even moral actions like Boyce jumping into Ford beating the Nazi up, all that was missing was a press X to intervene on the screen. It went from <laughs> action scene to action scene with no plot to ride on, just next action scene. For me, the film felt so light on anything other than the premise and felt so serious that there was never really any fun to be had. Perhaps I'm the only one who felt this way, but honestly, uh, watching it in Dolby Atmos aside, I could have just stayed home and played another two hours of Red Dead Redemption 2. At least oh, then I would have been able to press X, end quote. Huh. That took a turn. I thought he was pointing that out as a positive. But, I, uh, yeah, actually, I did not feel it, 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 he, Dalton is right, but I didn't think that was a downside. You know, no, no. like when he's exploring, he was saying that was one of the good things of the movie. For yeah, him. like when he was exploring the lab. You know, yeah. I, I thought that sequence was amazing when he's going through the lab and like around every Ugh. corner is a new horror. Like you don't yeah. know what it is, but you know it's going to be sack freaking of awful. dude. Yeah, <laughs> sack of dude. That's person who's talking, then... who's just a spinal column, like that, yeah, lady you know? head. That was great. Yeah, so yeah. Cool. pretty good. But yeah, speaking of Dolby Atmos, like I, I also saw it on that screen, and it 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 works really well. This is a movie where every single gunshot just has like a nice thump to it, and mm. that's definitely helped by like the uh, the transducers in those seats. But the sound design overall is just fantastic because this is you know, it's not a big budget movie. It's pretty small. They crash, they land in the forest, they go to a village, and then there's this lab. That's the entire movie, right? So I think they make the best of what they have. I Um, actually watched this in LIMAX, and mm, uh, it was a mm. pretty fun movie to watch in that format because it was was chest-rumbling audio and stuff. Uh, But to, to his point... I it is you know it's very in vogue to say that there are no good video game movies, but 
I think there are a number of excellent video game movies. They just don't happen to be tied to actual video game IP. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think this is one of those. I think this movie is clearly influenced by video games and video game culture. And I think you can point to movies like Hardcore Henry as another that I think is like a, clearly a video game movie. It just mm-hmm. doesn't happen to be one that you recognize. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't a downside for me either. Like it sounds like. Uh, according to Dalton, like it just felt like because it was so video gamey, there was nothing connecting much in the movie. But I thought it was pretty tight in terms of what they needed to do and like what connected the movie together. You know, they have this mission, they land, they're pursuing the mission, they meet the girl and, you know, they try to protect the girl and then the kid gets stolen. Like it's all it all kind of connects in a way and it focuses on the overall mission. Uh, it's not super complex. And I appreciate that sometimes. Um, I got to say that the final sequence when the protagonist is escaping from the building was incredible. That's one of those is incredible. It's one of those shots. That one that, take. Yeah, yeah. In one shot. And it's, it's like everything's exploding around him. It's one of those one takes that sneaks up on you. You know, you, you, yeah. it, it takes you a second to realize what is happening. And when you realize it, it's what is happening is so spectacular yeah. that. Uh, it, it really took my breath away. I really love that shot. I mean, I, so, could, I could almost hear the direction too, like for that scene. It's like, be your Tom Cruise. This is your Tom Cruise run. <laughs> run. Yeah. It's, it's actually quite a performance in that moment because just stringing together that sequence of running one direction, no, I've, oh God, what's that around that corner? Oh God, an explosion. Oh, that is not easy to do. And uh, I bought it. I bought that that was all happening in sequence like that it's a it's a spectacular moment to, to the video game point though it does remind me of like uncharted uh oh, sure. video game when you're like yeah. running towards the camera and something uh, you know exploding is yeah. happening behind you um the, a very common trope in those in those things but guys i think we really need to mention the last line of this film which i, I don't recall exactly what it was but it was something along the lines of you know after this whole ordeal that these characters have been through they are being folded right back into service. And uh, mm-hmm. the the main character, I think, says something along the lines of, you know, we still have a job to do or, like, we have to finish the job or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And I felt like it was a call to arms. I felt like oh, yeah. it was a, hey, mm-hmm. um, the Nazis have not yet been defeated. Um, don't think the Nazis have been defeated. You must go defeat the Nazis now. You know? Are you are you reading? Uh, you're reading a lot into that. Uh, I'm reading think, a lot into it. Yeah. I'm reading. There's a, a lot of the real it. world bleeding into this movie, and I definitely felt uh, as the Nazis, you know, were appearing and doing Nazi shitty things. Uh, you know, my my fists were balling up. Like this movie viscerally wants to make you destroy them in a way. Uh, but I, t- you know, I was more excited by the potential for where this movie could go and like giving us an, you know, an actual <laughs> a movie that has a bigger scope and gives us like the Wolfenstein thing. Uh, maybe yeah. the sequel could be a Wolfenstein movie. And this was actually the prequel all along, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, unbreakable and split style. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, I do think that uh, a sequel where they literally have to go kill a cult mutant Hitler yes. uh, would be loads of fun. So yeah. I'm sign me up for that. Yeah. 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 By the way, can you guys believe that we are two months away from seeing Glass, the M. Night Shyamalan film? I cannot. I cannot. I have, uh, it has been so difficult to avoid those trailers. Uh, they seem to be bombarding me yeah, all the yeah, time. Yeah. I'm, I, yeah. I, I've been avoiding them too, Jeff. Um, but I am really psyched for that movie. So Me too. So uh, excited. It should be pretty awesome. And we'll, we'll be reviewing it in just a couple months. So that, that'll be fun. Uh, any closing thoughts on Overlord? I think we all had a great time with this movie uh, and hope you people have a chance to check it out. 
I think there are a couple of just real quick, a couple other shout outs and sequence. I think the uh, the transforming sequence when they first see their friend who yeah. was being killed turn that was, uh, was exceptionally well done. Like that moment, like he gets up and then headbutts the post and breaks it in two. It's like, whoa, uh, that was rad. Uh, and then I thought the, you know, sometimes that digital makeup can not work well, but I thought, mm-hmm. uh, you know, half a face with our uh, main villain. And I also thought, you know, the, the movie takes a long time with uh, setting up how evil he is before he becomes over the top, you know, CG evil. Mm-hmm. And that sequence where he, you know, is is tormenting uh, the French woman. And attempting to, you know, uh, rape her is, uh, I thought really was really tense and well executed. It, it's mm-hmm. a good move. It's a good sequence. Yeah. Um, a lot of good sequences everywhere. You know, the, the sequence with the, the kid and the ball, like <laughs> there's that sequence when they hear something upstairs and then like you have the, their guns are yeah. pointed at the thing. And, um, yeah, there's just really, uh, r- really a lot of, a lot of stuff to admire throughout. So, I kind of wish the rules had been a little bit better established for what those creatures could do. Like, is it like Uh you shoot them in the head and they die, but then like later on they shoot one in the head and it doesn't, you know, like what? You really have to destroy the head. You just have to like annihilate these things, you know, (laughs) completely. So, Uh, but yeah, really fun movie. Uh, Great genre exercise. That's Overlord. That's our review of it. And uh, that's the Slash Filmcast for today. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. But in the meantime, find more episodes at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us. At slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. And our uh, slash film court music comes from simonmharris.com. Uh, Devendra Hardor, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra. And I write about tech at engadget.com. I'm on paternity leave. I'll be back there soon. Jefferson Kanata. Uh, I am at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T on Twitter. And I do have the aforementioned video game podcast. I welcome you to give it a shot. It's called DLC. You can find it at 5x5.tv slash DLC. Find all my stuff at DaveChen.net and get emails from me at DaveChen.net slash letters. I'm also trying to make YouTube videos pretty regularly at YouTube.com slash DaveChensky. That's DaveChensky. Next week, we'll be discussing Widows. New Steve McQueen movie. What happens when an Academy Award winning director makes a heist film? We'll find out and talk about it here on the Slash Filmcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later. We watch the movies, flicks, tracks for the good, bad. It's the Slash Filmcast. For all the news and the movies coming out, because you know that it's the thing worth talking about. If you enjoy this podcast, why not try Rethinking Business, a new podcast series brought to you by NatWest. Join me, Piers Linney, as I meet inspiring business leaders who are doing things differently, disrupting markets, overcoming challenges and bouncing back when things don't go to plan. We'll hear how perceived barriers can be turned into advantages and how the journey to success is not always as you'd expect. My guest this week is Freddie Garland, founder of the subscription florist Freddie's Flowers.
I think having someone who is able to advise you is critical. So, you know, I had Keith Abel, who started Abel and Cole, and who I used to work for. So we were learning very quickly. He knew I could sort of do it, and it's essential to have a, a good sounding board for, for when you've got a question. You know, I, th- I think that's really important when starting out is that there's someone who you can ask advice from. That's Rethinking Business, brought to you by NatWest. Subscribe now on your favourite podcast app.